morning, everybody. Welcome to a show with no name. I'm Tim Wildman. Ed Vitagliano here. Good morning, Ed. Good morning. Makes me want to sing. <laughs> I'm, show, I'm on like, a show with no name. Well, like <laughs> the horse with no name, that's right? That's right. That's right. That's what I was thinking. Show with no name. Um, so, uh, as if you're a faithful listener to American Family Radio, you, you've known for many weeks now that uh, Dan Celia, our good brother who does the Financial Issues show, has been in the hospital and recovering from, uh, uh, well, I don't want, he had double pneumonia there. Yeah. And so he's still still struggling with that. So uh, Brother Dan is un- obviously unavailable to do financial issues. Keep, so, keep praying for, for yeah. Dan. Yeah. So we had to do something with the uh, two-hour slot here on AFR because we don't want to, you know, we're hoping and praying that Dan comes back. Right. You know. Very popular yeah. show. Yeah. So, but in the meantime, we had to have guest host and so forth. Jeff Shreve, our brother from uh, Texarkana, has been filling in for us from the 8 to 9 o'clock hour. And uh, Ray Pritchard's done some some work for us and uh we have a good bench yes we do have a good bench but last week they came to us and said tim and ed we have nobody to do nine to ten o'clock central time on monday we're at the bottom of the barrel right so (laughs) you guys think you could could do that so i said yes i think we can we can handle one hour of fill in because uh we do today's issues uh normally which is 10 10 o'clock to 11 30 central time so People, what I'm saying, you're going to get a whole lot of Tim and Ed today, whether you like it or not. That's what I'm telling you. I'm breaking it to you right now. That's right. We do have, a, I think, a very interesting hour lined up. Stephen McDowell will come along in about uh, 40 minutes or so. Stephen, our good friend from the Providence Foundation, and we're going to sort of do a travel log with Stephen. He's the author of the In God We Trust um, Tour Guide. And uh, he knows so much about, uh, you know, New England and uh, and Virginia and the Eastern Seaboard and uh, where so much of our early American history right took place. And uh, we're going to ask him about some of those sites and places: Philadelphia, Boston, Lexington, Concord, and the historical uh, events. Yes, yeah, Jamestown, Yorktown. There. So we'll visit with him because uh, folks may want to. You know, do some travels around the country uh, to see those places, and and Stephen will uh, bring them to life, if you will, coming up later on in the hour. And ironically, um, it may actually be cheaper to travel around the country the way they did when our country was founded, <laughs> as opposed to putting gas in the tank. So uh, back, get hook up that horse and buggy. Back, back, back to horses we go. Okay, which has been the mainstay of human travel since probably a thousand years ago right yeah all right uh so but what we're going to do this uh for the next 30 minutes or so we're going to talk about uh what it uh, looks like to be a law enforcement officer in america today a police officer i know that when we were uh kids uh, let me introduce our guest and then we'll talk about that i'll, talk, I'll finish that sentence okay yeah. finish that thought uh, kevin parker senior is in studio with us. Kevin serves as our chief security officer here at American Family Association. And uh, good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Thanks for having us. And uh, also Chuck Bond. Chuck, good morning to you, brother. Good morning. 
Chuck uh, uh, and Kevin, uh, are, are, they are our security team here at AFA yes. and AFR. So if you want to uh, slash tires in our parking lot, now would be the time to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> While they're inside <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. But you got, uh, you're looking at, you got 40 minutes. <laughs> we, we can see them on our cell phones. <laughs> well, that's true. Cameras. That's true. We got security cameras everywhere, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Chuck, let's start with you for a minute. How long have you been in? Uh, let me finish my sentence here. Everybody wanted to be a police officer when you're six years old, just about, right? I mean, that was one of the top two or three things, that and maybe a Major League Baseball player. I I didn't. You wanted to be a hockey player. I wanted to be in the the mafia when I was six years old. (laughs) (laughs) But but that was a different culture. Which are polar opposites from police officers. (laughs) Uh, Ed, uh, the Italian, grew up (laughs) to be in the mafia. Chuck, tell us a little bit about your background, if you would. Um. I was fortunate enough to spend uh, a little over 30 years in law enforcement. I began my law enforcement career in 1991 here in uh, North Mississippi. Uh, I was uh, given many opportunities to serve in law enforcement, in narcotics patrol, detectives, SWAT, uh, K-9. Uh, after 20 years in law enforcement, traditional law enforcement is what I like to call it, uh, then went overseas and contracted with the uh, Department of State as a personal security specialist, uh, uh, providing protection for our diplomats diplomats who work overseas in Iraq. Upon returning in uh, 2016, I finished my law enforcement career for the next five years as an investigator with our uh, district attorney's office. So that's how many decades of experience in Uh, A little over 30 years total. Wow, you've had... And that is a wide spectrum of uh, law enforcement. From Yeah, I was uh, very fortunate um, just to be at the right place at the right time uh, during those during those times to have the opportunity to serve in those capacities. Kevin, you and Chuck have been friends for a long time, worked together for a long time. Yes, Your sir. experiences are kind of similar to his, yes, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've got my start in 95, and as Chuck says, traditional law enforcement in Greenville, Mississippi. And uh, – Joined the Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics as a narcotics agent for the state police for 10 years, and that's where I met Chuck. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're, I was from the coast, working in on the coast at the time, and uh, got sent to a uh, school in uh, Overland Park, Kansas, to uh, learn how to work meth labs back in 1998 when they were first coming on the scene. And that's where we first met at that school. Meth labs were coming on the scene when now? Probably late Late 90s, uh, 98, when, when we began. were there in August of 98. But did both of you guys start out as as uh, <clears throat> police officers getting in a patrol car going yes, out, huh? No, you, sir. You, you didn't do that, right, I did Chuck? not. But you did, Kevin, I did. right? Yes, sir. How long did you do that? Uh, about two years, and then uh, that's when I joined the Bureau of Narcotics. Yeah. Well, it, is, it, we, we wanted you guys to be on uh, – for uh, part of the show, not only because you guys have such a, like you said, Tim, wide spectrum of experiences, you you actually do some, uh, I don't want to call it moonlighting, but on the side, yes. you, you actually do security for some, you have done for some well-known uh, yes, celebrities. And, and it just, right. it's fascinating when I talk to you guys, uh, now Chuck, just getting to know Chuck here uh, this, uh, this year, uh, but it's just fascinating. But 
there's been so much that's happened over the last several years with regards to how some people in inner cities, the Democratic Party, we don't necessarily have to term make it political. Not all the Democrats. Not all the Democrats, but there, there seems to be a growing hostility towards law enforcement. We wanted to let the listeners of this program kind of get an insider's view right. as to what it is like. I, I, I just jotted down some ideas. I would like to talk about the, the drug aspect um, yes. starting off. Uh, so, Kevin and then Chuck, what what changes have you seen in our culture? Is it is it just my imagination or have drugs become a worse problem? Now, Tim and I, we grew up. In the, you know, 60s and 70s? 70s. 70s. 70s and 80s for me. So, yeah. I'm the same age as Tim, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, all right. right. All right. Well, you guys look yeah. much younger than yeah. Tim and I, yeah. so. Um, the, the general same era. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. everyone right. was talking about, you know, tune in, turn on, drop out. Right. There were a lot of drugs. Right. Have things gotten worse, or is it the same? What, what do you see? And then, Chuck. In, in my opinion, it's it's – much worse. I, I know growing up in the seventies and, uh, junior high, high school, uh, you weren't considered, uh, cool if you did drugs back then. But now I think it's so this opposite now, you know, everybody does it and it's just, a, but marijuana was the big, marijuana was Correct. the big drug yes. in the seventies and eighties. And right. And then, and then that switched to the cocaine uh, in the eighties and then, Crack cocaine came out what mid nineties, and then meth methamphetamines, and and you had your uh, local uh, person just anybody was cooking meth. They had they were cooking it in their cars, and and that's how we ended up going to the, this school. Does that start big in the nineties? What's that, Chuck? Me- the meth. meth, the meth yeah. labs. It did when uh, in ninety eight that Kevin's referring to the this, the class we attended uh, at that time when my commander came to me and told me he was sending me to this school to be uh, trained in to dismantling meth labs. Uh, I was surprised, one, because at that time I'd been with narcotics about seven years or so and had not seen a meth lab. So I didn't see the need for it. This would have been what year? 1998. Okay. Uh, we, the only occasion we had to see meth back in that time uh, was individuals passing through Maybe individuals whose occupation caused them to work extended hours, they'd use it to stay awake longer, things of that nature. But the um, average population, we didn't see it in. But then it began to boom, right, Kevin? It did. It sure did. Oh, what, through the, through the 90, I mean, it was late like, 90s and t- 2000s? Right. It's, it's almost like when we got back from the school, meth labs started popping up everywhere, and we were – by the, by the way, my boom was unintended. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, they were doing that as well. <laughs> that pun was terrible. And it was they unintended. were doing that, though. Uh, well, I mean, I mean and, really, and it was so the dangerous. Lash can blow La- yeah, can blow it was up. very, very volatile. And, and they were we were seeing people that were getting burned and killed. And uh, and that's why the need for knowing how to, to clean up after you uh, discovered one and, and uh, seized it to know what was how, how to uh, – react to it because it was so dangerous and we had to call a hazmat team in from little rock atlanta you'd be sitting on there on the meth lab for six hours waiting for somebody to come clean let me ask and this is probably an unfair question but if you two can answer this 
we were talking about this the other day, Tim. We were saying who is the first who was the first guy that said I'm guessing it was a guy because I think guys he was in the, the mafia. Folks, I was just kidding about that. Nothing funny about the mafia. But, uh, who's the first guy that says, well, I'm going to mix some Drano? And, I mean, who right. who invented method? Anybody know? I mean, is that just some Well, the Nazis chemist? did back in uh, World War II to really? uh, uh, keep the uh, soldiers awake. They, and they had okay. a, a chemist or, or somebody that figured out how to extract the uh, meth uh, – methamphetamine from from these chemicals okay is that still big today chuck or is that i'm talking by big i mean very prevalent the meth it is problem uh, it is uh kevin and i have been out of narcotics investigations for a few years now right. uh, but through my experience when i was at the district attorney's office and able to see the cases that were being prosecuted in the seven counties that the, that the office uh was responsible for uh when it came to drug cases methamphetamine uh, was the highest number of cases on the docket at that time. I've heard that, uh, I know you guys aren't aren't uh, doctors or anything, but I've heard, Kevin, that that's one of the most addictive drugs yes, on the planet. Is. Yeah, it's, it's Crystal it's meth. People, really don't just, pe- people don't come off of it. Right, uh, right. It's, it's, they say once you do it, you're, you're hooked. Yeah. We're talking to Kevin Parker Sr., and Chuck Bunn, both these gentlemen have served uh, decades and decades in law enforcement in various capacities. And so we thought with this hour, at least for a majority of this hour, we would talk to them about um, about their experiences. I'm Tim Wildman with Ed Vitagliano. Chuck, what uh, uh, <clears throat> this seems to be, and I know it is, uh, a, a high-stress job, what you guys, I mean, in our uh, all the jobs that you listed that you guys have had. Uh, so my question would be, um, are you nuts? To, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. But uh, my question would be, seriously, how do you, why do you want to, why would, why would someone want to stay in that for decades, that kind of high stress, high intensity, highly, uh, I guess, volatile in terms of every day, you don't know what you'll face, stay in that. And then how do you handle that emotionally? Kevin, you were telling us that about a divorce. Yeah, oh, yeah it's very high. And, and, and so we'll, when we get back from the break, we'll deal with that part of it, okay? Yes. So stay with us. You're listening to a show with no name, uh, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Here are Tim and Riley Wildman for the AFA Foundation. Riley, what is your title? The director of AFA Foundation. One of the best ways you can have income for the rest of your life and know that uh, you will be supporting the Ministry of American Family Association is to... To give a gift to American Family Association and American Family Radio. Do you also deal with people who want to leave AFA in their wills? Yes, sir. That's exactly why they call, and that's why we also have another option besides a charitable gift annuity. People sometimes also call and do an outright gift or also leave us in their will. Now, when anyone calls in and asks to talk to you ladies, will all of them talk in a southern accent like you do? Yes, they will. Call Riley Wildman at the AFA Foundation, 800-326-4543, extension 345, or visit afafoundation.net. 
Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. Hello, I'm Gary Roby, host of Call to Worship, heard each Sunday on American Family Radio. This one-hour program will lead you in a special time of worship and praise. We will focus on God's Word, spoken, and in music. Call to Worship has a different topic each week as we glorify God together. Be sure to join us at 5 a.m. Central each Sunday for a Call to Worship right here on American Family Radio. Paul writes, when one part of the body suffers, we suffer together. This is Bible League International, and here's a very startling statistic. Every five minutes outside of America, a Christian is killed simply because they believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me give you some perspective. By the end of the average hour-long worship service in America on a Sunday, 12 Christians will die, again, simply because of their faith. Now listen, persecution is arguably the top issue facing the global church today. I'm not saying that death is affiliated with everything every case of persecution, but at Bible League, we know Christians who are singled out, targeted, monitored, threatened with death, even killed simply because of their faith. Listen, we can do something about it by sending exactly what they're praying for to persevere and endure, and that's God's Word at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Would you pray about it and then make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or give at sendbiblesnow.org, sendbiblesnow.org, and God bless you for caring. Welcome to the islands. <laughs> That's where we get this music for the show with no name. Adam. <laughs> huh? I felt like I'm in Cancun uh, by the pool uh, with that music. Now that's a song right there. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm in a, Cancun, in, out by the pool? Out by the pool. All right, in you're listening. Cancun. Uh, Tim Wilma with Ed Vitagliano here, and uh, we're filling in for the uh, financial issues hour. Dan Celia is still unable to do the program, and so we're having to uh, fill in uh, with different various guest hosts, and Ed and I have the show today. We're talking about the life uh, of, of the law enforcement in our country and what it, uh, you know, police, sheriff's deputies, drug enforcement, uh, uh, this just the, you know, the, there's a wide variety of law enforcement in America, and they Many of them have been under siege from the media in particular and left-wing activists who want to uh, betray all cops as bad guys, you know. Right. And so we, we're talking about uh, the life of a law enforcement officer today with Chuck Ben, Chuck Bunn and uh, Kevin Parker Sr., who both these gentlemen serve on our security team here at AFA and AFR. Um, Chuck, I was going to ask you uh, – uh, how do you deal with? How did you deal in, uh, with the stress of your job over all those years? You, you described earlier just a wide variety of, of of jobs that you've had. Where, I mean, you would get up in the morning. I mean, it would be it, it high would, intensity. Um, I, I think early on in my career, I um, compartmentalized 
everything. And I think that was my uh, way to successfully handle. Are you taught to do that or, or is that just something no, sir. you develop? Uh, unfortunately, 30 years ago when we started, uh, there really wasn't any formal training on dealing with stress or okay. things of that nature to help an officer to be healthy. Um, Psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, because you're still right. a, no matter what you may see or confront at the end of the day, you're still a, a human being. Absolutely. You have, to have a wife and kids and a, a, another life. Yeah. I th- the only thing that I can recall back in that day that they, that possibly helped us was physical fitness. There was physical fitness was stressed. And I don't think it was as part of our own well-being as far as dealing with stress of the job per se. It was more to be able to better perform the job that you were given or the task. Um, mm-hmm. However, from what I've read recently and seen recently is departments now are focusing on the wellness of the officer, uh, the more so than they did years ago. Uh, you'll see departments implementing officer wellness programs where they're focusing on uh, the mental health of the officer, uh, the physical health, uh, social, financial, all the things that would cause additional stress to an to first responder, not necessarily a police officer, but a first responder in general to help them to uh, just stay healthy. Uh, you know, they talked about start healthy, work healthy, and retire healthy. Kevin, I want to ask you, and Chuck, back to you too, because I know a lot of our listeners want to know, uh, they want a juicy story. Here, yes. Okay. <laughs> every, we every, got one. Everybody, every police officer, <laughs> sheriff's deputy, the drug enforcement, uh, it doesn't matter what part of the law enforcement you, you you guys if you've been in it for 10 years you could write your own book yes sir everybody could but tell us about uh an experience or two that you've had where they, well that, i'll so, go back put, to, so that people can appreciate what sure, you guys do sure. if you don't have a family member or a friend that's in law enforcement on a daily basis most people can't appreciate what you guys right, uh, have had to right. deal with yeah i'll tell you one we were it was I was a month on the job after getting out of the uh, Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics uh, Police Academy. That was my second academy I went to that year. How old, so that was were, you? How, how old were you at the 32. time? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. Okay. Yeah. Married, got a couple kids. Married, got had one one child at the time, and uh, my grandmother passed away in Greenville, Mississippi, and I uh, had her funeral. And that next morning, I drove down to Gulfport, and we had a wiretap going on some uh, cocaine dealers and. Uh, they were dealing crack, and uh, we had to buy. The buy happened like as soon as I got there. I had no, I didn't have a, a bulletproof vest, and we we kind of dressed like this and tucked our pistols in our pants with no holsters and just long hair, earrings, and <laughs> so we, you know, I, I worked undercover down there for three years, so on the coast. But uh, my captain was there, and he said, uh, come on, Kevin, jump in the car with me. We're going to take this guy down. He's fixing to buy eight ounces of crack cocaine, which was about $8,000 an ounce. It looks like a little sugar cookie, kind of. So uh, we jump in the car, and we're listening to the wire. And uh, What does that mean, uh, listening to the on wire? The self, through a cell phone. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, we had the wiretap on his home phone and on his cell phone. And we could <laughs> ping the towers and tra- – triangulate where he he was located and we figured out or of course he was telling us where he was going to so uh once the deal was completed we we did a traffic stop on him and we're all in unmarked cars and 
Uh, now we try to, to utilize marked vehicles just for safety reasons and make them understand that it is a real police officer that's stopping them and not get in a shootout or some, some kind of bad deal. But the guy wouldn't come out of his car. My captain blocked the front of his car with his car. I got out. He gets out. They're trying to break the window on the car, and uh, doesn't happen, doesn't break. And uh, he finally gets out of the car. He was about six foot eight. Uh, six eight? Yeah, big guy. Well, he starts walking towards me. I'm on his driver's door, and uh, another agent, he was actually my FTO, a field training officer at the time because I was new to narcotics. Uh, he was standing to my right, and the guy walks towards us in between us and he's given up and he's and but he later told me he perceived that he was running at us well when he grabbed him he had his finger on the trigger so he grabs around the guy and his his pistol comes right at my face oh my goodness and i truly believe that what saved my life that day is i didn't have a holster and so i had to turn my head and as i turned my head his gun went off uh and it felt the pressure in my face and it hit the hood of the car i'd just gotten out of and just missed shooting my captain as well. But I was trying to get my gun in my pants. And, of course, the bad guy dropped. He thought he'd been shot. And uh, the agent dropped down behind him and still had his finger in the trigger. And here I am, fresh out of the academy, and I see him. I, I, I grabbed his hand. I'm trying not to say his name. Uh, and said, hey, you, you just shot your, your weapon. I said, pull your finger off the trigger and... Uh, he started shaking because he didn't he didn't he didn't know who shot either and uh so i said i got this and took two pairs of handcuffs to cuff the guy and cuffed him and went on about our day and captain's high-fiving me on the way back to the office but back then we we didn't do you any after say, action so you mean to say excuse me for interrupting but just so i understand this the the the, the the only thing between you and being shot in the head and dying that day was obviously God good saved Lord. the good Lord God exactly. saved your life obviously right. but you turned your head to get your gun out of your to put it back in to my put pants. it back in yeah, your holster we, we all had our guns and that's drawn. the reason he missed yes wow well, and, and I saw the you know I could see the muzzle flash and feel the well, I'm going. Blast. I'm going to apply for a job at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> right after that, that. after that afternoon, I yeah. want to work on the loading dock. Right. Uh, that's a, a God. I I'd never heard you tell that story. You right. and I've known right. each other a long time. Chuck, what about what about your? I mean, you could. There's many many stories. I know. Uh, I'm interested in your overseas experience in protecting people. But what? What have you ever been? The situation like Kevin's was right there? Uh, unfortunately, I've had a few of those in, in my career. But um, I tell you, I had the opportunity to speak to young officers or officers just coming on. You can't compare uh, our careers with officers that are coming on the force now. Law enforcement has changed so much. Um, they're, they're, they're probably better trained. They have uh, more training and education available to them than we did back then. When I started in 91, uh, I started as an intern from Ole Miss. And when I came for my interview in northeast Mississippi, where I'd never been before, uh, they interviewed me and asked me if I'd be interested in working in an undercover capacity. So that's all I did for my first 12 months in law enforcement uh, was working in undercover capacity. To share a, a little story, 
uh, they sent me to a local local town here in the area uh, just to make street-level buys. So we would go in there. We would make street-level buys, get out. And unfortunately, this part of the town that we were in, it was one way in and one way out. Uh, local law enforcement didn't know that we were there. So, is this a state agency you're working for? This uh, was this was a multi jurisdictional jurisdictional task force at the time. Okay, uh, multiple cities and counties involved. So you don't have to make the lo- you don't have to make the local police aware that you're in the, the area. The or? local chief of police knew, and he's the only one that knew oh, gotcha. that we were there. Okay, okay, and because um, you may have dirty. Afraid- yeah, of leaks or something. You or? may have dirty cops, no, right? It, or is that right? No. I would. I wouldn't. I don't think it's so much as concerned about intentional, but it's the unintentional that we were concerned about. You're going to invest a lot of resources uh, and money and time into an operation uh, just to set it up and get it going, and then once you get started, you need it to 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 be able to carry out to be successful. And the less people that know, the better. And it's just unintentional. Yeah, you don't want a, a couple of police officers uh, having lunch at the diner, talking about you it. You know what's going to happen this afternoon? Yeah, someone's going to overhear it. Right, you don't know who's in the booth. but, but Right. Uh, or somebody from church want... sees you and says, hey, you still working narcotics? Right. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that, like, that's right. all real yeah, stuff. It happens. Yeah. But this particular time, so we go in there and, um, you know, we're, we're doing the, the, the transaction. But unfortunately, uh, we can hear – folks in the neighborhood yelling that five O's in the neighborhood. So an obviously a marked unit's pulled into the, to the neighborhood. So we're literally like parking behind houses, uh, for that marked unit to get by for us to get out. Um, but that's just the way that it worked back then. Then after three months off operation and it was time to, uh, you know, at that time to issue all the warrants and pick everybody up, they, they, um, called a meeting with the, police department and told them of the premise that it was an inventory for everybody to show up on Saturday morning, eight o'clock, bring all your equipment. We got to do a, an, an audit, if you will. Once officers showed up, they walked us out, introduced them to them. And of course we were the ones they'd been chasing for the last three months in their <laughs> local neighborhoods. You know, we were the ones they were getting complaints about from the good citizens that were in there buying drugs. You were the local crack buyer. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, which one? Uh, both of you worked canine, or was it you, hey, Chuck, Chuck, I, I Chuck? Chuck worked canine. I, I just have a little story about canine because a lot of people, I think, when they see an officer with a dog, they think, "Oh, what a cute dog! I want to pet it." Well, we were uh, American Family Studios was doing a, uh, a a little brief promo, and so one of the people who works here knew someone in the canine unit because we needed a uh, video portion of a dog barking and we had no idea how to do that except for this person who said yeah yeah we'll we'll bring the dog over and it was just it was fascinating that one of them got in a closet and the other guy told the dog I don't remember the wording because this is probably 15 years ago uh and got him to barking at the at the uh at the door the, the shut door and they got that on video and it was very very cool but I asked the the, the canine officer, I said, what would happen if I tried to pet that dog? I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. What would happen? He said, he will eat you up. Oh, so yeah. these dogs are not friendly uh, to people, are they? Um, you have to have the mindset they're a piece of equipment. They're just like any other piece of equipment that you have available to you as an officer, and you have to treat it as such. Uh, they're, they're not pets. Uh, 
they're, they're, they're utilized for a purpose. Now, there doesn't mean that the handler and the dog doesn't they bond. Uh, bond together yeah. and have some type of relationship. Uh, but when it's utilized, it's utilized in a working capacity and not as a pet. But now there are some dogs that, that are uh, for explosives and things that are, are passive and, and not oh, as okay. aggressive. The yeah. dogs you're referring to are what they are called dual purpose. So they not only detect narcotics, but they also track and apprehend. Yeah. Those are dual purpose dogs. You can get some that just are for the sole purpose of narcotics detection okay. or explosives. Right. I'm Tim Wildman with Ed Tagliano. We're talking to Kevin Parker Sr. and, and Chuck Bond, and these two gentlemen serve uh, as our security, uh, head up our security here at AFA and AFR. They have decades of experience in law enforcement, and I just thought it would be cool to get in – in here and talk about uh, talk about these things, and because uh, uh, you know, so many times we we think about police officers, or we see them out, not just police officers, but sheriff deputies uh, and others, and and we just sort of take it for granted, you know. But uh, they may have seen and done things that day that give that, us nightmares. They give us nightmares, yeah, and you, and it's just a different. Uh, in fact, Kevin, sadly, you told us that uh, when you went to some training, maybe you and Chuck both did, they told you that so many uh, law enforcement uh, yeah, my, marriage. My, yeah, went. after I got out of the MBN Academy and we had our spouses down for our first day, official day on the job after we gradu- our graduation, they pulled us all in, in an office with our spouses and said, look around you because probably 60 to 80% of y'all will be divorced in five years. Just because of the stress. Thanks and, for the pep talk. Yeah, my wife was offended. <laughs> <laughs> well, but 31 years later, we're still together. That's yeah. reality. Yeah. Lord, yeah. A lot and, of police and, but officers, it is. Right? It yeah. is. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, um, all right. Hey, listen, we'll do this again sometime, guys, because yes. uh, I'd like to explore, uh, especially Chuck, your and Kevin, your, uh, your experiences overseas. Uh, right. So you were in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. He was in Iraq. But both working for the Department of defense in different capacities yes sir, yes, sir. yeah all right uh, thank you guys thank that, you all for thank having you. us that's about but thank that. you for your service to yeah. our community yeah and yeah. here yeah now you're not undercover in here are you uh, uh, i yeah. can't say not, like, any, not anymore Tim. I, I, I like, I, honestly all i got is coffee guys <laughs> all right we'll 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 be back in a couple minutes ed and i will stay with us AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. When you hear this, 
This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to the show with no name. I'm Tim Wildman with Ed Battagliano. We are going to milk that for all you can, aren't you? <laughs> You're listening to American Family Radio. If you'd like to send us an email, uh, here's the address comments at afr.net. Comments at afr.net. Uh, Ed and yours truly, Tim, we are filling in this hour uh, for Dan Celia. Uh, Dan's been out for several weeks now. And, uh, Hopefully he'll be back, you know, as soon as he can, as soon as he regains his health. But uh, he's uh, uh, it's been uh, been down and out. We had COVID double pneumonia there, yeah, back in February, and he, he hasn't fully recovered from that. So as we wait on Dan to come back, we're having to uh, fill in these two hours from eight to ten o'clock Central Time, Monday through Friday. And our brother Jeff Shreve's done a great job. Um, from 8 to 9 o'clock, uh, Jeff's pastor right. at First Baptist Texarkana, Texas. And uh, so he does the show from there. And then uh, Ray Pritchard's helped us and Frank Turek and Alex McFarland. Alex, I think Alex, some. Alex helped us out some. So they didn't have anybody to do 9 to 10 o'clock today. So Ed and I volunteered. 
Well, it's it, it, it wasn't really volunteering. No, it wasn't. They, they had nobody else. No. And you know what? When your back's up against the wall, that's Tim, right. you, yeah. can, you can count on us. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So if you're wondering, well, who's going to do today's issues, it's us again. Yes. So we'll be back here. We'll be I've here got a the, bunch of cough drops. We'll be today. here for a long time today. All right. So uh, uh, we wanted to uh, do a little travel log uh, this uh, summer's not too far away and a lot of people uh like to travel and explore history in our country and boy new england and virginia and the that eastern uh, seaboard is uh, so much to see and uh, a gentleman who knows a lot about it is our good friend stephen mcdowell of the providence foundation in fact stephen has written a book called the in god we trust tour guide which will tell you how to get uh you can Use it as you as you travel around uh, and, and explore early American history. Of course, we have our tours. I'll tell you more about those later on. But uh, we we asked Stephen to join us from his home in Charlottesville, VA. Good morning, Stephen. Well, good morning, Tim and Ed. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Uh, how's the new administration there in uh, Virginia? How's that uh, shaping up? Oh, they are doing a marvelous job. We are happy in Virginia that we have some some people who uh, seek to govern in accordance with what our founders intended, and I believe what the principles the Bible teaches. So they're doing a great job, and we're we're glad to live here again. Now, <laughs> glad to live here again. That's funny. It's not funny, but it's funny. So I consider Virginia a uh, – it was a purple state trending blue, wasn't it, Stephen? And then and then this political earthquake happened with uh, the, the, the governors, uh, the lieutenant – the governor, the lieutenant governor. And what, what else happened there back in November? Well, you know, there was a lot happened in the field of education when a lot of parents were really being denied the opportunity to, to speak to what their children were learning. So a lot of those – People called called an uproar, but it's not just that. It's just the uh, you know I think a lot of people began to see that the liberal policies of governance don't produce good fruit. We're seeing that on a national level. We saw it nationally, but state as well. And people said, "Hey, we don't like these, so let's get somebody who has different ideas and and let them govern." And uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. And I think we'll find out how much, even this election cycle, the end of this year, how it affects the nation at large. Your website is what, and what's there? It's providencefoundation.com, and we have enough articles and materials to keep somebody busy for years. But it, but uh, the Providence Foundation teaches uh, biblical principles of public life, really. We, we teach God's hand in history, America's providential history, and, and but we also teach biblical principles of law, government, education, uh, because the Bible speaks to all of life, and if we learn God's principles and apply them not only personally, but in our business and family and, and civil society, it produces good fruit, and that's what people want. So we, we provide uh, items and articles. We have many books, materials you can order there. 
and uh, it's providencefoundation.com. Now, you have a book uh, called The In God We Trust Tour Guide, The In God We Trust Tour Guide, uh, which when we you and I take our tours together in June and September, you always offer them. It's a very popular book. What is it, and uh, and we're and why did you why did you write this? Well, when you visit America's historic sites, what you begin to see is it reveals our Christian foundations. America was a nation birthed by men who had a firm reliance upon Almighty God, and that reliance is inscribed upon our buildings, monuments, and national symbols. We can see we are a people who put our faith in God. And so this tour guide tells that story. It takes you through to uh, the sites throughout Virginia and, and Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. And as you were there visiting these sites, it tells, here's what you can see, here's the story behind this painting, behind this building, behind these people that gave birth to America, and the more you learn, the more that you can recognize uh, that truly, as our national motto says, we are a nation who has put our trust in God, and that's what has produced the most free and prosperous nation in history. Not perfect, but but uh, a, a nation that has welcomed people from all over the world because they love the fruit that they see. So you can learn this story in the book, and we'll you can be your own tour guide. You know, you can go to the Capitol building, and we tell you here are the these paintings in the Capitol Rotunda. Here are statues of men and women that, that we honor that are our heroes, and it tells the story, and in particular, God's hand in history and how the Christian faith uh, shaped these people, their lives, and their public policy. Yeah, Massachusetts. Let's start there for just a minute. Uh, did I pronounce the state right, Ed? Massachusetts. Yes, yes, you did. I did. Uh, so that's uh, that's Ed's whole stomping ground, the Boston area. It's where you grew up, Nashua, New Hampshire. If you go up there, uh, Stephen, it's just everywhere you goes early American history, right? Yeah, it's full of God's hand from the Plymouth Colony, just which is just south of Boston, that tells the story of of parents of our republic, the people we call pilgrims, they were very devout Christians who came in order to be able to freely worship God, to propagate the gospel, to train their children in the ways of God. And you can learn their story in recreated villages and some of the, uh, you know, uh, replicas of the Mayflower and, and the Plymouth Rock and um, and then just work your way up to Boston and Boston it's full of ideas that, in particular, tell us about the American Revolution. Our our revolution, where we uh, separated from Great Britain, became an independent nation. It was really a Christian revolution, and so you can learn about God's hand and the events that took place there, from the Boston Tea Party to the events of men like Sam Adams and John Adams and others who who were motivated by their Christian faith to resist the tyrannical action of the king, tells that that story also from the Battle of Lexington and Concord, or visiting the home of John Adams and John Quincy Adams, you learn about their faith. So it's, it's full of our history, and it's just a marvelous way to uh, uh, learn that history. Yeah. Um, Ed, you want to comment on? Well, I, I just had had a, had a question. Um, 
you know, you were talking about people uh, all around the world who are interested in American history and coming here to this country. So first, let me just ask you this. Over the last 20 years, um, Stephen, you, you have a great deal of experience in researching, take, taking people on tours to a lot of these sites. Uh, over the last 20 years, do you see a growing interest in our nation's history, especially its Christian heritage, or is it, uh, or is it waning? I would say it's growing. I'd say there's a growing awareness. Um, you know, when I went to school, which was by me, you know, much less secular than it is now, but nonetheless, I wasn't taught of God's hand in our history. And when I began to discover that in the 70s, I was, you know, my response is I've been robbed. Nobody taught me about the faith of the founders. And so there is uh, not a lot of people knew a lot about God's hand in our, our history back in the late 70s, early 80s. But interestingly, God has put it on the heart of a lot of people to uncover that story and to propagate it to a large range of people. And so I would say a lot more people today are aware of this story than they were 40 years ago when I first began to study this. And that's good news for one reason, because when you read the Bible, you see a key to revival in the ancient nation of Israel is remembering God's hand in their history. So I think the very fact that more and more Americans are learning of God's hand in our history is a positive sign, because once you learn, remember, God did this for us, so we need him today to move on our behalf. So a key to revival for today is remembering what God did for us in the past. And so I, I think there are a lot more, because there are many, many more books than there were back then, lots of different people that are that are doing this, and the tours that Tim and I do are just one indication, because people love to come and, mm-hmm. and, and learn about God's hand in our history. And I think it's a big picture that God is doing that because he's still working in the nation. You're listening to American Family Radio. I'm Tim Wildman with Ed Battagliano. Our guest from Charlottesville, Virginia, is Stephen McDowell, who's the president and founder of the Providence Foundation. Stephen has an excellent uh, book that you can use as you travel around uh, from Virginia all the way to Massachusetts and Philadelphia and, all the, and a lot of places in between where so much of our early American history was established. Uh, go to Stephen's website, ProvidenceFoundation.com, and you can buy the book, the In God We Trust Tour Guide, uh, and have it there for yourself. Hey, if you want to join Stephen and I on the uh, Spiritual Heritage Tours in June and September, we go to Jamestown, Yorktown, and Williamsburg, Colonial Williamsburg, on one trip, and then we go to Washington, D.C., and George Washington's Mount Vernon on a second trip. Well, but they, they, those those tours are back-to-back, so if you want to do both uh, Saturday to Saturday, you can join us in June or September and see all that I just mentioned there. The website for more information, including the itinerary, the cost, everything, is uh, spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours, with an S, uh, .com. Um, you know, Stephen... Uh, we got about three minutes left here. We really don't have time to get in much to what I'm about to talk to you about. But as you look at, and Ed, you can comment on this too, 
as you look at human history, I've got to say, in my view, having, and I love history, that the story of America has got to be a top 10. Right. Huh? I'm talking about impact on the world. All right. I know, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not uh, a, a thousand year reign, like right. maybe like the other empires, but Stephen, the story of America and it's, and America's then impact on the world. Uh, don't you think it's a top 10? Oh, it's the top five, top five in human history. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, the founders of America who had a providential view of history understood God was doing something unique. That's why they said America was a city set upon a hill, quoting governor of Massachusetts, John Winthrop, early governor. It was a city set upon a hill because God was showing the world what a Christian nation would look like. Here's the peace, the liberty, the fruit, the opportunity to labor hard and benefit from the fruit of your labor. You know, there are some ministers who preached that the millennium had begun with the birth of of America because they saw this as such a a radical event that man had seen nothing like it. Individual man, your common man, uh, knew nothing of this liberty and and freedom that we take for granted today. There was really no middle class, and say, until America came forth, and and they believed God did it. God's hand Amen. brought this about. We'll pick this up again later, uh, another time with our friend Stephen McDowell from Charlottesville, Virginia. Go to his website, ProvidenceFoundation.com. All kind of resources there, uh, ProvidenceFoundation.com. Uh, all right, Stephen, thank you so much. Appreciate it. God bless you guys. Okay. Ed and I, will. Uh, we're going to take a short time out for news. We're going to change hats. Yes. Put on our Today's Issues hats. Yeah, so Fred Jackson will join us, and we'll uh, take a look at the news of the day in just five minutes from now, so stay with us. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.